the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Now, this wasn't an act of faith, but a rash act of passion. You say, but I thought that Moses was God's deliverer. Yes, he was. God chose Moses to be Israel's deliverer, but this murder on the part of Moses was an uncontrollable emotional outburst. This was premature. God hadn't planned for Moses to do this. This wasn't part of God's plan. It was premature. It wasn't God who led him to do it. How do we know that it wasn't God who led Moses to kill the Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave? One clear indication, as we will learn in a while, is that Moses fled because he was afraid of the consequences. He left because he was afraid. But 40 years later, he would leave Egypt again with quite a different attitude. Now, if you have your Bible and would like to follow along, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, while we get ready for class to begin. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been ministering at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. These daily radio Bible classes are an extension of his teaching ministry at Lakeside. Today we begin Pastor Steve's seventh message in our grand tour of the faith chapter, Hebrews 11. We will find out today how the example of Moses can help our faith by encouraging us to look at God's presence rather than the problems around us. Now, here is Pastor Steve. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27 says, speaking of Moses, by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Shall we, shall we pray? Father, we come this morning to understand this portion of Scripture. We have come to hear you speak and to know that what you say is living. It's not simply words of historical significance, but this is the living Word of God. And we say, speak, Lord. Speak through it. May it register in our hearts. May we understand your Word today and how you would have us to live. Because, Lord, while we may not be under physical persecution like the Hebrews of the first century, we have pressures and problems and difficulties, and we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to fix our gaze upon Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and the shame of it because he knew he would be exalted. And there was joy following that humiliation. And so I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to have an eternal perspective to know that regardless of what we're going through today, it won't always be like this. I pray also you'll help us to be especially sensitive and thoughtful to those around us who may have a hard time, that we might be 
aware of needs and concerns about others and, and not consumed with ourselves. Lord, today we would ask that you would also draw to yourself those who need Jesus as their Savior. We realize that it's very possible to be in church and hearing all kinds of things that recognize the birth of the King and yet not be in subjection to that King. And so we would pray that the Spirit of God, who is the only one who can convict us of sin and righteousness and judgment, will do that today, even here in this place. And we pray for those of us who do know you, Lord. We pray for those struggling, that you will encourage them. For those whose, uh, whose mind patterns tend to wander and, and be caught up in, in difficulties and problems, pray that you'll bring it back to Christ, that in the midst of our problems, we would see him. We would see Jesus. And I pray, Lord, for, for all of us to draw close to you through your word. May this be just an extraordinary time of fellowship with you and the word. And we, we ask you to do something very, very special as we sit at your feet and take in what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, a book came out entitled Knowing God. It's written by J.I. Packer, and it really has become a classic in Christian circles, Knowing God. If you don't have the book, you really should purchase it. But in that book, in fact, in the beginning of the book, he talks about two kinds of approaches to theology. Obviously, it's a theological book. It's entitled Knowing God. But Packer talks about two different people. He, he pictures two types of people and how they approach theology. The first type that he, he pictures are people who sit on a balcony watching travelers uh, as, they, as they travel along the road. And so the balcony people approach theology, he says, from a, uh, a theoretical perspective, only a theoretical perspective. Uh, to them, theology uh, is an abstract issue consumed with, with certain questions that would be of an abstract nature. They are only, he says, onlookers who observe things from the balcony. They, they really don't get involved. They can ask questions, but they don't experience anything uh, too vital because they are only sitting on the balcony without ever being involved personally in their questions and the answer to their questions. They, they, they merely face theological problems as theory. On the other hand, he says, there's another group of people who approach theology quite differently. They are the people below. They are not sitting on the balcony. They are the people traveling on the road, and therefore he calls them travelers. They aren't interested in theory. They are interested in practice. They aren't content to merely ask questions about theological issues, but they want to have concrete answers in order, and here's, here's the point, in order to act on the truth. They aren't interested in just knowing about the truth. They want to know about the truth so they can lay hold of it and live out the truth. And Packer offers an illustration that might be very helpful for us to, to see. It's a contrast, the difference between the balcony people and the travelers. He says, for example, that balcony people ask, how can one God be three persons? How can one God be three persons? How can they have unity? How can they work together? How can they be of the same essence? How does it work? That's what balcony people ask. However, travelers want to know 
how they can properly love and worship and trust and honor the Trinity. You see, they're not in the abstract. They really don't care exactly how it works. They want to know what should they do. They accept the triunity of God. They don't have to analyze it so that they have a nice theory of how it, how it operates. They want to get involved and worship him. So you see the difference between a person who sits on a balcony and theorizes about theology and a person who travels down life's road and wants to know how to live as God wants him to live. Well, Hebrews chapter 11 is for travelers, not balcony people. Because in Hebrews chapter 11, our writer gives us practical and not theoretical insight into how to live by faith. It is the faith chapter. However, I want you to know that there are many issues that theologians study about faith. Our writer to the Hebrews is not interested in that. There are, there are theologians, and I'm not saying it doesn't have a place in, in our understanding, but there are theologians who want to know the relationship of repentance to, to faith. There are others who want to debate and discuss the, the lordship salvation issue and how much faith do you need and how, and what is, how this all fits. And there's a place for that, but that's not what we're primarily interested in because that is not what the writer to the Hebrews is interested in. The people he was writing to didn't need to know about the relationship of repentance to faith or which comes first or anything like that. They just needed to know how they could make it. They weren't going to debate the lordship issue. They just needed to know how they were going to make it because they were under constant pressure and they had endured persecution and suffering was down the road a little bit and they're not interested in theory. They want to know, how can I make it one day at a time? So the writer tells them how to live by faith and he tells us that way. He tells us how to live by faith too and that's why this is so wonderful and this is so practical and we're taking our time going through it because this is rich and this is applicable for us. And what our writer does is take us back to the Old Testament and he shows us how the, the ancestors of the Hebrews lived by faith and when they were under pressure, everyone he mentions in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, has lived by faith in a pressured uh, world under, under extreme difficulties. He speaks about Abel and Enoch and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. And we continue this morning in Hebrews chapter 11, the verses I read just before uh, our prayer. Uh, he continues this morning with the faith of Moses, and he also moves into the faith of the Israelites that Moses led out of Egypt. And the truths about faith that we're about to see this morning are linked together by the person of God and his character. Faith is caught up in understanding who God is and his character. So we're going to look at three more truths about faith this morning. And the first truth that we see is that faith sees God's presence, not problems. Faith sees God's presence, not problems. Now, you remember, just before we look at verse 27, that when Moses turned 40, he who was raised as Pharaoh's, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it says that when he turned 40, we put together Exodus, we put together Stephen's message in Acts chapter 7 and Hebrews chapter 11, and when he was about to turn 40, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He turned his back 
on the comforts and pleasures of Egypt, and he identified with the people of God, believing that God has a future for his people and that God's word is true. Well, how about you? Do you believe God's word is true? I don't mean a surface acknowledgement, but are you willing to, shall we say, bet the farm on the word of God? Well, Moses sure went way out on a limb for God. So did Joseph and all of the others we've been hearing about over the past few weeks. Now, if you're still up in the balcony analyzing things and trying to put all the pieces together, I would encourage you to come on down, get involved with living for God. This great chapter, Hebrews 11, will help you make it through life. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff will be right back to continue our lesson after we welcome those of you who just got here. You're listening to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the air. Pastor Steve's 25-plus years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, have given rise to this radio ministry. Now, if you didn't catch the start of class, keep listening at the end of the program for the web address where you can listen again. Let's return to class now. Pastor Steve has been piecing together a picture of Moses for us from Hebrews 11, Stephen's message in Acts 7, and the Exodus account of Moses' life. Now, here is Pastor Steve with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27. Now, we pick this up in verse 27. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, that is, Pharaoh's the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. When Moses left Egypt, the writer tells us he did so by faith. That's his point, by faith. Though it was an extremely difficult time, though Moses was under pressure, at a time that was tough in his life, his faith enabled him to leave Egypt without fearing the, the powerful wrath of Pharaoh. Now, immediately as Bible students, we have an interpretation problem, and really not so much a problem, but a question at this point. You see, as you go back in the book of Exodus, you realize that Moses left Egypt two times. Number one, after he decided to identify with the people of God. And number two, when he led the nation of Israel out of Egypt, we call the Exodus. And we have to decide which one is he talking about. And Bible students are somewhat divided on this, but in my mind, it's a, it's a settled issue, and I'll tell you why. I believe that, that the writer to the Hebrews is speaking about the second time Moses left Egypt when he led the children out of Egypt. And I can't give you all, we don't have time to give you all the reasons for this, but uh, the, the basic reason, and this is the one that, that settles it in my mind, is that after he chose God's will for his life and denounced Egypt, and identified with the people of God, he then fled Egypt, but because he feared for his life. Hebrews is telling us when he left, he didn't leave out of fear. But the first time, he did leave out of fear. He did fear his, for his life. He feared the king. But Hebrews says he didn't fear the king. It has to be the second time. Let's turn back to Exodus chapter 2. Let me show you what I mean. What happened to Moses? Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 says, Now it came about, you might want to keep a bookmark in Exodus, because we'll be referring back and forth. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, 
And he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that. And when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And he went out the next day and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Doesn't strike me as a man who had no fears, does it? Now, this wasn't an act of faith. This wasn't an act of faith, but a rash act of passion. You say, but I thought that Moses was God's deliverer. Yes, he was. God chose Moses to be Israel's deliverer, but this murder on the part of Moses was an uncontrollable emotional outburst. This was premature. God hadn't planned for Moses to do this. This wasn't part of God's plan. It was premature. It wasn't God who led him to do it. You say, well, how do you know? Because the fellow doesn't have a clear conscience. The Bible says he looked this way and he looked that way to make sure no one was watching. That doesn't sound like a man who has a clear conscience and is doing this by faith. You don't go out and murder somebody. Because it was an impetuous move that didn't have God's approval. Someone said this, spiritual ends are never achieved through carnal means. This was a carnal mean. This This was Moses acting in the flesh, if you will. So Hebrews is not referring to this first leaving of Egypt. He left, and you know where he left? He he left Egypt, but it says he went to Midian. That would be modern-day Saudi Arabia. And it said he sat by a well. What What a depressing scene. Here's Moses, who is a prince in Egypt, and he just figures that that God's people ought to understand. He's the deliverer, only they don't understand. And he's acted prematurely. And now God takes him, and he and and Moses runs for his life in fear, and he sits down by a well. And he stays in Midian for the next 40 years. The next 40 years. But it was during this period of time that God began to train Moses to be a real man of God. Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 that for the first 40 years of his life, Moses, and I quote, was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. But you know what? During the next 40 years, God took this strong-willed, impulsive, powerful man, and he crushed him, and he made him weak. And that's the way God works. Someone said that for the first 40 years of Moses' life, he thought he was somebody. For the next 40 years of his life, God showed him he was a nobody. And then someone said, and for the last 40 years of his life, God showed him that, that he can use nobodies. God had to crush Moses. For 40 years, he was a student in what I call Desert University, where in solitude, God taught him lessons of humility, lessons of patience, but primarily, God taught Moses who he was. Not who Moses was, but who God was. And Moses had to learn in relation to who God was, who he was. God crushed him, and that's the way God works. When he's going to use a man or a woman He crushes that man or a woman. It's not a pleasant thing, and we wish that there was an instant way to do this. 
but there's no instant way to do it. It's through suffering and a quiet period of time that you become acquainted with God. It is through rejection of others. It is through loneliness that you learn the things that God has for you. And that's what took place with Moses. Moses needed to become more familiar with divine wisdom. Moses needed to become more intimate with God. Moses needed to understand that he was absolutely a nobody and that God was, well, more than wonderful, as the song says. And so when God called him through the burning bush experience to return to Egypt and to Pharaoh, a different Pharaoh at this time, but to return to Egypt and Pharaoh and to say boldly, let my people go, he obeyed God and he went and he confronted Pharaoh and eventually led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And how did he do this? Let's look back at Hebrews chapter 11. How did he do this? He did it by faith. By faith. That's our writer's point, that it was in trusting God that Moses was able to have the courage to do this. He looked Pharaoh in the eye, and instead of cowering in fear, which he would have done 40 years ago, he took an entire nation of about 2 million people, and he led them out of Egypt. And how did he do this? Hebrews 11, verse 27 says at the end, for he endured, that is to say he persevered, as seeing him who is unseen. What a magnificent, magnificent statement. That's really a paradox. How do you see him who is unseen? How do you do that? In fact, do you know that 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17 says, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. He is invisible. 1 Timothy chapter 6 Verse 16 says, who alone, speaking of God, approaches immortality and dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see. And yet the Bible says that Moses saw him who is unseen. What does that mean? He saw him by faith. He saw him through the eyes of faith. As you believe God's uh, word and you believe he's with you and as he promised to be, you focus on his character and you see him who is unseen. And that's what that's what Moses did. You see, the, the Greek word that's translated seeing in Hebrews chapter 11 means more than a casual look or a glance. The word was used in Greek literature of keeping one's attention fixed on something. It's gazing at something. It's, it says that uh, Greek writers will compare it and say that it's, it's like an artist who fixes his attention on the object or, or model that he's drawing or sculpturing. He pays careful attention. It's a fixed look. It's a look without uh, wavering and wandering. It's a look that pays careful attention. A fixed look. That reminds me of a verse from the very next chapter. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, and it starts in the New King James by saying, looking unto Jesus. But I think the New American Standard renders it more accurately, fixing our eyes upon Jesus. That's part of the author's application of what we're learning in this chapter. The writer of Hebrews said that since all these people, Moses, Joseph, Jacob, Abraham, and so on back to Abel, have given such great testimony to God's faithfulness that we should run with endurance and keep our eyes locked on the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we can't physically see him, but like Moses, we can see him with the eyes of faith. 
You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. We're glad you could join us today. Pastor Steve has been teaching at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida for over 25 years. His clear, expository preaching has led to the formation of Verse by Verse Ministries and this daily radio Bible class. Verse by Verse Ministries is a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of interested listeners who have first been faithful to their own churches. Now, if you missed part of today's class or you'd just like to hear it again to reinforce the concepts, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download today's class or listen online. The same is true of many of our previous broadcasts. They can be found on our archives page. We also offer a free podcasting service so that you can be sure to catch every class. The web address again, versebyverseradio.org. Since we need to break Pastor Steve's messages into smaller pieces to fit into a radio schedule, you might like to hear the entire message at one time. If so, you can order an audio CD or a cassette tape by calling us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-239-0306. We hope you can join us for our next lesson and we'll see how faith relies on God's power. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.